Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the sixth day of June 2014. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter Into Action. We are on page 73, the very last paragraph at the bottom of the page. It begins, we must be entirely honest. And today's readers are the 12 Steps Lois, 12 Traditions Linda R., and then Barbara S., Karen M., and Kim. And the share code for Thursday, yesterday, the 5th of June, is 6431. 6431. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that People who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Lois to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, uh, Monica, and good morning, everyone. This is Lois in uh, Massachusetts. Uh, The 12 steps. Excuse me. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. (coughs) Excuse me. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, came, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spirit having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. You're welcome. And and I will now ask Linda R to please read the twelve traditions. 
Good morning, Linda R. in North Carolina. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to choose they serve, to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Linda. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what we have read, and we are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute, and once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today, we are resuming our study of the big book. We're in the chapter, Into Action. We are on page 73, and we are going to start with the very last paragraph at the bottom of the page. It starts, we must be entirely honest, and I am going to ask Barbara S. to please read for us. Thank you, Monica. This is Barbara S. from Western Foothills of North Carolina. Uh, we must be, <clears throat> excuse me, we must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. 
those of us belong Barbara, we've lost you. Star one to unmute. Barbara, star one to unmute. We've lost you. Monica, can you hear me now? Yes, yes, I can hear you now. Mm-hmm. Oh, what happened? Um, well, a te- little technical stuff, probably. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not sure where uh, you lost me. Do you want me to start over or tell me where I fade it out? Um, well, actually, I'm not sure exactly. Why don't you start over? Go ahead and start over. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world, rightly and naturally. We think well before we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us belonging to a religious denomination which requires confession must, and of course, will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. Um, My my experience is that being entirely honest with someone is an ongoing way that I need to live or I, yeah, I want to pick up. Um, I've been listening to people share these past days and so many of us are embarrassed about things that we we did. And one of the things I've been thinking about, well, is there's a couple of things. One is this idea that we encounter people who do not understand alcoholics and or compulsive overeaters. And people I knew in the religious world, there were people who were they would come for me in the middle of the night, but they just did not understand uh, um, the situation I was in and addiction. Uh, um, when I had done 90 days, they thought, well, gee, you know, you've done 90 days, so what's the issue now? <laughs> and, of course, those of you on the line know what the issue is. Um, but I did find that Often people who were in my religious circles um, did understand um, the principles of why I needed to take a fist up and share it. Um, the other thing I, I want to share was that when I did my first fist up, I was most embarrassed by the fact that when we did the sex inventory, that unlike other people that I knew, 
I did not have this um, (laughs) sex history that I had been involved with a lot of people and blah, blah, blah. And I was real embarrassed about it, and I felt like there wasn't anything to talk about. And my sponsor at the time, I felt, in retrospect, was really wise because she kind of pushed in on that. And when I really shared with her that I felt really less than and, you know, not attractive enough, just less than, less than, less than about that whole arena, she really helped me. And being able to be honest and still be assured that I was not alone was extremely helpful to me and and freeing. And I guess I wanted to share, I wanted to share that because before that fifth step, I would not have thought that talking about it and feeling so less than would have been so healing and helpful to me. So I don't know if anybody else experiences that type of stuff, but hopefully if you do, um, knowing that I struggled with that was really helpful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Barbara. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Rabia? Rabia, go ahead. Good morning, everyone. My name is Rabia, and I am a newly recovered compulsive overeater, and so grateful for this meeting this morning and everybody who's on the line. And um, there are times in this big book where it's important for me to keep it in the historical context that it was written in, and this book um, was written in 1939, and there were 100 recovered alcoholics. Um, And so uh, meetings, this is a self-help text, and by people reading it, alcoholics reading it, they were recovering far and wide, and um, and didn't have the gift that I have in my life right now to have so many recovered compulsive overeaters available to me, and um, and and they needed to find trusting people that, of course, didn't understand alcoholics. I nobody in my life understands my disease of compulsive overeating except my fellows. Uh, who are compulsive overeaters. And um, so I just did my fifth step recently um, with a big book guide uh, that I met through the vision meeting in the morning. And, um, and and it was the most loving experience because, of course, she's living in steps nine. I mean, at nine, of course, all those steps through nine, and especially in 10, 11, and 12. And so... I felt totally at ease in unconditional love and and a lot of feelings came up for me while I was doing my fifth step and they were all 
uh, safe. I, I felt totally safe and protected um, in her presence. And and even if we had to do it over the phone, which at first we thought we were going to have to, um, and then we were able to, God guided us to figure out a way to meet halfway. Um, and we both drove for a couple of hours and, and met halfway to do it. And um, However, after it was, afterwards I realized even if we had done it over the phone, I would have felt as safe and protected and in the loving guidance of um, of another fellow traveler who has worked through these steps and had um, great love and understanding for me. Um, and so I'm so I'm so grateful for uh, this opportunity. Thank you all. I pass. Thank you, Rabia. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Larry. Morning, Larry. Go ahead. Good morning, Monica. Thanks so much for your service. Larry, recovered uh, compulsive overeater from Chicago. Um, you know, step five, um, all these steps, uh, I don't know about you, but for me, you know, early in the program, they seemed, the action steps in particular seemed overwhelming to me. You know, the contemplation steps in one, two, and three, I mean, my goodness, you know, to admit that I was powerless over food and that my life had become unmanageable. For for a guy like me, that was not too terribly challenging <laughs> coming into the program. Um, and steps two um, and then three where I made a decision, you know, those, those you know, everything, like most people, you kind of come in and, you, you know, and it's like, okay, wow, this, you know, maybe this will, maybe this will be the trick. Then we get to, you know, we get to four and five and so forth. And so here we are with five. And, you know, going back to this, the historical context, you know, if you go back into Bill's story, if you remember, Ebby, Ebby Thatcher visited him as his school, you know, school um, friend and his chum and, and, and the guy that he used to drink with. And basically, you know, he said that, uh, you know, there on page 13, there I humbly offered myself to God as I then understood him to do with me as he would. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without him I was lost. I ruthlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my newfound friend take them away, root and branch. This is a key statement for me. I have not had a drink since. But then, where we are now in step five, my schoolmate visited me. So he came back, and, and I fully acquainted him with my problems and deficiencies. So, me, that, you know, that's step five. This is before there were steps, you know, clearly outlined. You know, he told him his story. He, he acquainted him with his problems and his deficiencies. You know, and then he goes on, you know, making a list of people and, and expressing his entire willingness to approach these individuals. The point is, is that um, for me, I never took the action steps, and thus I never, unlike Bill, I have not had a drink since. No, it was the opposite for me. I had the equivalent of a drink every day, every other day, every third day, every fourth day, every fifth day, wondering why, what is the matter with this program? What the heck is the matter with this program? It's not working for me. Well, I hadn't done the work. The contemplation is fun. The philosophies are fun. I can conceptualize anything and talk to you about it. I can teach it. 
crying out loud. I can try to give it away to others, but if I have not walked the walk and seen and felt and experienced, then, you know, to call myself recovered would be complete hypocrisy. So in step five, you know, where we're reading here, that, you know, sure, we have to, you know, find a, choose a person. But if you get all wrapped up in who the person is, this person and that person, you find a person, you know, is it your sharing partner, your sponsor, whatever you want to call it? Certainly not my God, you know, but is it that person that's, that's holding the, the, uh, the lantern and lighting your pathway? Great. If it's someone else, as long as they understand, you know, what you're trying to get at, you know, you're trying to face you know, these, these issues and you're trying to allow God, you know, get access to God and allow God to work in your life. Yes, I gave up my last binge. I had my last binge. I'm stuck with the biology, the allergy, but I've had my last binge and I knew it when I had it, not suddenly, but it quickly became, you know, apparent to me that I had it because I had taken these steps. I'd worked the action steps. Not perfectly, because no human being is perfect, but I worked on, and then, you know, and then I can now have a new relationship with my creator. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? All right. Well, this is Monica, and I will jump in. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater here. And this paragraph, I was just looking, it, it, it starts with we must, must. That's pretty powerful language there because usually you know, they're making all kinds of suggestions. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. You know, I don't know about you all, but I was certainly unhappy when I came into this program. And I'd been searching for that happiness or something. I'd been searching for something for many, many, many years. And in doing this fifth step, you know, honesty, it's, it's the main principle of our, of our program. All I could tell you for years and years and years was that, you know, to my therapist or whoever, I just had this dark, swirling mass of, I don't know, like a tornado inside of me and it was uncomfortable and I ate. And that's as far as I could go. But by this time, I have done step four. And I have written out and did turnarounds on a lot of things. And I'm now seeing what this stuff inside of me was. I now know all this stuff. And I really, and here I am in fifth step. And I'm going to share this with another human being, a witness, and of course, to my God. And yeah, it seems a little daunting to do this. And yes, it's important that you pick somebody, you know, that you are comfortable with, that will not, um, um, you know, that is in the program, hopefully, or, or not, that you feel comfortable with. And I don't, and my experience was, I was in a very, in a, it was a loving atmosphere. There was no, um, no feelings of, of looking down on me. And, you know, when I got down with my fifth step, that was the first time that I had ever shared all these deep, dark things that I thought were so deep and dark and secrets with another human being. 
Now, there's definitely a change, a beginning in spiritual awakening. Because I don't know about you, but Monica here was very misindependent and I don't need you or anybody and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But here I had done something I had never done before. And I was emptying out all this dark, swirling, yucky stuff I thought inside of me. What a relief. What a relief. And, of course, it says at the bottom line, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. And that's true. How can they understand us if they don't have this problem? You know, so I've learned, Monica, don't try to make anybody understand. Because if they're not one of us, there's no way, no how they can do it. Just like, I can't understand how someone can take two bites of a piece of cake and let it go. I will never be able to understand that. And with that, I will pass. And would anybody else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? This is Jackie. I'll like to share. Jackie and then Hannah. Go ahead, Jackie. All right. Um, We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. What I, uh, I'm sorry, I'm Jackie, and I'm a compostable reader. But what I get from that um, paragraph is that um, I, I grew up and I always heard, because I, I used to lie about everything, and what I would hear is uh, somebody would say to me, you're lying, the truth ain't in you. Well, at that time, the truth was not in me because I had suppressed it, and, and I didn't know uh, about doing an inventory on my life at, at that time because I was just so compulsive. And now what I'm hearing is this. If I clean house and do a thorough inventory and share it with someone, then the truth shall set me free. So in order to be free, um, I must share my my deepest, darkest thoughts with someone and and be entirely honest in order to be free from myself. And what I also have learned from this is that I had to learn to kill self. Kill self, get out of self, and let God dwell and live within me. And uh, this is what I get from from this paragraph. And, and it's such a beautiful thing to know today that I don't have to be a liar and the truth isn't in me because the truth is in me once I do an inventory. And I can set myself free, free from, free from myself, and let God do what he wants to do with me. And uh, that's what I get from this paragraph. And uh, thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Jackie. And Hannah, you're next. Oh, good morning. Um, I'm Hannah. I'm a recovered compulsive eater in Colorado. Um, Welcome especially to everyone who's new on the line and really scared of this. Um, You know, the biggest relief for me in my fifth step, and, and I've done initially with my sponsor, and, and the biggest relief was realizing that um, nothing I said to her shocked her or or even surprised her. And she knew me pretty well at that point after we, we talked on a daily basis. For, um, and we've been working. She taught me how to use the steps. And I I discovered that for me, the most difficult part of step five has been admitting to myself. <laughs> you know, God knows. Um, 
and and the people I've trusted, and I've had the gift of um, an ordained religious person and a psychologist at different points in in my recovery, who who were not compulsive eaters, but who understood um, the human struggle to to live a spiritual life, to live a better life, to not be chained by our compulsions. Um, and it it it's been it's also I have had the honor of being on the other side of listening to someone's fifth step. And and there's a kind of honesty there and I don't know that they were the person doing the fifth step was, was aware of it, but I was aware that it required honesty of me, complete honesty to listen and to just be part of the process for somebody else. Um, so don't worry about this. If you're at the first step, don't worry about what you're going to do when you get to the fifth step. Just, just doing today, admitting I'm a compulsive eater for today is a huge chunk of honesty. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. And let's move on to the next paragraph. And Karen M., would you read for us, please? Star one to unmute your phone, Karen. Monica, can you hear me? I sure can. Okay. Um, If we cannot or would rather not do this, we search our acquaintance for closed-mouth understanding friend. Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. It may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents, which would hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. The rule we have, we must, let's see, the rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. And um, the line I focus in on is, um, such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. Um, and that we must be hard on ourselves and considerate of others. And I also, like was previously shared, that one of the results of step five for me was finally, 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 I admitted it to myself, these defects. So I was thinking I would know it without telling someone, but it was only as a result of telling that person and then telling God and then finally telling myself that I got well. And um, and one thing that I read from Bill's previous readings was um, he said, our first attempts at inventories are apt to prove very unrealistic. I used to be a champ at unrealistic self-appraisal. On certain occasions, I wanted to look at only the part of my life that seemed good. Then I would greatly exaggerate whatever virtues I supposed I had attained. Then I would congratulate myself on the grand job I was doing. This was falling back into the pattern of my drinking days of old goals of power, fame, and applause. 
So that's the reason someone who understands me can hear me in a, in a fifth step and say, I think we need to do it a little bit far, further because to the degree that you dig out the, the problem is the degree that you can be free. And that would make, make me go back and say, okay, maybe I need to really dig a little deeper here because obviously if Bill had a problem learning to be realistic, maybe I can have a problem learning to be realistic. Maybe I won't get it on the first shot and I'll learn to be more realistic as I go. And with that, I uh, close. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. And would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula, may I share? Paula, go ahead, Paula. And then I heard someone else, I think. Who? Jean. Jean. Joanne. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Paula. Did I hear a Jean? Yes. And then a Joanne? Yes. Okay. Paula first, then Jean, then Joanne. Thank you. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Reader, currently in New Hampshire. There's a lot that is said here. A lot that is said. You know, now we're coming to the place where first we got it out of our head and we finally put it on paper. Then once we wrote it, now it's time to speak it. You know, they said something here, what we've shared with no other human being. I was a human being. I didn't even see this in myself. That's the turnaround. The awakening, finally to see, did I do that? Did I say that? But I love this part. It was so, I love the guidelines. See, I never went by guidelines. I was all over the place. Boundaries, like elastic bands. Stretch them out, girl. But here they all came in. And it says very clearly who we're to speak with and why. It may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents, which will hurt them and make them unhappy. What if I was the one that was listening to this? Could I walk away unaffected? Here again, another turnaround. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Oh, no. The price is too high. Some parts of our stories we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. This is so important. That's why we come to the place where we're at. Who we tell, it is important. It is important. What we say, oh, yes, it's important on our part, but who we say is, because what they hear, the rule is we must be hard on ourselves, never. Now, you want to talk about a turnaround. Honey, my expectations of you were so damn high, you could never make it. Mine? Well, you should accept me whoever I am or wherever I'm at. This, the turnaround, hard on ourselves, but always, and I love this word, considerate. To live in consideration of others. This is when we finally become free. When we finally see who we are. And then, as I said, we spoke. And, you know, Bill W. said a quote that he said was, good is the enemy of the best. See, I would look at it and I said, well, that's good enough. No. That is the enemy of the best. I must do my best here. I will put in the time, the effort, the prayer, write it down, speak it in all honesty, in all honesty. No, well, I'm not going to tell them that. It's not this. This is when we finally, 
finally can come to the place of awakening and knowing who we are, and the transformation begins. Thank you. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And Jean, you're up. Thank you, Monica. Good morning to all. This is Jean, Recovered Compulsive Eater in Massachusetts. When I first read the line, we must be hard on ourselves, I I shivered and uh, my heart cringed. And as I um, walked through the process and read this in the context, I began to understand that's not what I thought it meant. Um, I have been the slave driver and very self-critical, self-judgmental all my life till I encounter this step process. And uh, the hardness here, as I now understand, it is the same thing that uh, we have read and many have shared. It's about the thoroughness, the entire honesty on ourselves. And um, and that is... uh, um, the truth that the truth sets us free. Um, so it is um, being willing to look at my responsibility, my part, and my history, my past, um, my behavior, and my judgment on my behavior, my thinking, how I attach to my thinking and believing they were true when they were not um, in resonance with reality, being willing to look at them, being willing to be set free from them, being willing to adopt a new set of beliefs and thinking and uh, consequently behaviors. And those to me are um, the the meaning of this thoroughness, the meaning of this uh, great extent of willingness and that is no harshness at all, but a profound uh, responsibility and a profound act of self-love. And um, with that, I will pass. Thank you, Jean. Joanne, you're up. Hi, this is Joanne, a compulsive operator from Boston. And I, I really like these two paragraphs because I remember when I did my fifth with my sponsor, you know, in speaking honestly with her, you know, two things I experienced. One was I saw a pattern, and actually a very, very painful pattern. I was not aware of, you know, one of my biggest character defects that um, I was never able to speak honestly. You know, I, a lot of times it came out my self-seeking would be people-pleasing, and, you know, and she kept saying that's emotionally dishonest, you know, you're not being true to yourself, but I never... I never had the skill of speaking up, and I saw how many resentments resulted from that inability because instead of saying something, I'd cop a resentment, I'd stuff it, and then the hatred would turn on myself. I had so much bitterness and remorse towards me. It, it was just, it was so painful. And what I loved is she, she kept pointing out, you know, Joanne, you've got to remember step five, you know, it says that, you know, God will remove these character defects if we could. She's like, if you could, you would have. If you had the skills to do that, you would have just like, if you had the ability to put the food down, you would have, but you didn't. And God's going to help you. 
And it's funny, like, it was four years ago, and even this morning I thought that because I still struggle with speaking honestly and appropriately at the right time without anger. And, um, you know, it's something that it's taking me a long time to learn, but I'm learning with the help of talking to people. And the other thing, you know, the honesty was that she helped me see things, you know, by seeing things in a different perspective because I thought I was seeing it honestly. You know, I'd share with her honestly. And the other thing that was, you know, another pattern, I wanted all these things. I was so envious of others who were, you know, who were very athletic and rock climbing and ice climbing, these friends I had that I so wanted to be them. And she'd point out, you know, Joanne, you don't, you want to be that, but you don't seem to be willing to go to the gym every day like your friends. And, and she was right. I wanted what they had, but I didn't want to put the work in for it. I never acknowledged the work they had put in. And, you know, it was her helping me see things in a different light as I was reading to her that helped me really take a different look. And it would almost sometimes be embarrassing, like, oh, I never thought of it like that. But she did it in such a gentle way and sometimes a very funny way, you know, that I find myself laughing like, oh, gosh, you're right. And, again, it was with someone who was very loving and trusting and um, it was a really healing process. And I'm, I'm very grateful I had that experience. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. Would anyone else like to comment on this before we move on? This is Sharon H. in Colorado. Sharon. I heard Sharon and someone else. Helena. Helena. Okay, Sharon and then Helena. Thank you, Monica, and uh, thank you for everyone out on the line. I, this paragraph is, is just so amazing to me, um, and it's amazing how it means so much uh, differently than, than I learned uh, over the years how to see this. But So I'm going to zero on, and we have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand yet be unaffected. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. And I, I certainly do understand today that, um, you know, I would think it would be hardly ever that you would do your inventory with one of your parents or your spouse because there's such an intimate connection there and a great history, and I think that it would be very hard for them to not be unaffected. And so, again, we begin to learn um, we begin to learn the things we never understood. And then this rule about we must be hard on ourselves, that's taken me quite a while to understand that too because um, I used to have people say, you're too hard on yourself, you're too hard on yourself. And uh, I didn't understand that. But I do today because I would be the two extremes. I would be the one who was full of pride, you know, and think uh, – totally preoccupied with myself and see myself as more important than God and those around me. And then I would do the pride in reverse, which is the same, the other side of the same coin. And that was the self-condemning, self-judging, self-being uh, my own judge, jury, and executioner. And um, both of them are not rooted in any degree of, of love that we become and begin to understand in this program. So that has helped me so much because I, 
I didn't realize um, either what that meant to be hard on yourself. I thought that's what we were supposed to be, but I had, again, this uh, distorted idea and this untruth uh, of what that meant. And so today I see that both of those attitudes are rooted in, are not rooted in, in uh, a sense of love. There's no God there. I'm in charge. I'm either going to be judge, jury, and executioner of myself, or I'm going to think I'm a cut above everybody else, and there's no God in that either. And so that has just meant so much to me um, to understand that today uh, the way I believe it means it rather than be harsh and cruel to yourself and, you know, punish yourself and all of that that I had that was so misconstrued in my own mind. And um, that's what gives us then the ability to be considerate of others because we begin to see that we're all human, we're all flawed, we all have a fragile, misguided sense of self-esteem and and a lot of this goes back to some woundedness that we all experienced when we were very small and couldn't comprehend. We could not comprehend it. And so we learned how to survive with um, these false beliefs that we believed were true. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Monica. Thank you, Sharon. And Helena, you're up. Good morning. Can you hear me? I sure can. Go ahead. Um, I find it interesting that there is a rule in here. There are many places in the big book where they say things of course, like, of course, we can't lay down any rule. But here there is a rule. And the rule is that we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. And a lot of people have shared already on this. Um, I'd also like to say that for me, I too always uh, felt that I was hard on myself, but it was in a very self-circling kind of way. And the big book has started out even when we did step four. Um, it's made it very clear that this is to be objective. This is a fact-finding inventory. And it's along the same lines as the inventory that we will be taking in step 11 when we get there every night. And it makes it very clear that we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection because that would diminish our usefulness to others. This is not supposed to be a big emotional self-pity or wallowing in guilt thing at all. And when we even get to step nine, it's going to tell us how we approach people. And I think that's a good guideline for um, even how I look at this step. It says we should be sensible, page 83, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. And I find that a wonderful guideline. I am looking for, as in step 11, I am just looking for objectively what went wrong. Ask God's forgiveness. Ask for corrective action. It made it so clear this is not an emotional wallowing thing, which is what I've always done. Pass. Thank you, Helena. And this is Monica, and I'd like to share for a moment. So these paragraphs here that we are reading, remember now this book was written and came out in 1939, and there were 100 recovered alcoholics. So there were not very many people who had been through the process or recovered or sponsors. And so Bill here in these paragraphs is, is giving us um, information, instructions, guidelines, I guess is the word I want, guidelines on who to um, look for and ask to be to listen to your fifth step. 
And hopefully here today, we have many more people available in the fellowship sponsors that can hear a fifth step, um, that understand this better. Um, and I'll pass with that. And let's move on to the next paragraph. And Kim, would you read for us, please? Thanks, Monica. Notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be one is so situated there is no suitable person available. If that is so, this step may be postponed. Only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. We say this person we are very anxious that we talk to the right person. It is important that he be able to keep a confidence, that he fully understand and approve what we are driving at, and he will not try to change our plans. But we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. When we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. We have a written inventory, and we are prepared for a long talk. We explain to our partner what we are about to do and why we have to do it. He should realize that we are engaged upon a life and death errand. Most people approaching this way will be glad to help. They will be honored by our confidence. And good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I read two paragraphs because I think that we, they really click together. You know, as, as Monica was saying, this, is on, this book was written on the premise you wouldn't have access to people, but we do. We do have access to recovered people today, and what a gift that is. So what's letting us know here is important that he be able to keep a confidence that he fully understand and approve what we are driving at. So I think that's essential for me. I know for myself, what I wanted to do was not give it to someone in recovery because then I could bullshit them. You know, I, I could give it to a, a, a psychiatrist who's often their aim is to help us understand our past. I would give it to a religious person whose, whose aim was to, to have a, a sense of forgiveness or a sense of their religious practices. And what I needed was someone who understood this 12-step process, someone who would hold me accountable, someone who would get me to where I was selfish, where I was dishonest, where I was self-seeking, where I was frightened, when really often what I wanted to do in the beginning of my 12-step um, experience was get that person on my side. I wanted that person who heard my fifth step to understand how I had no choice to eat because look at the life that I lived. So it's essential that we have someone that understands what is the purpose of that 12 step. It says here in that fifth step that it, you know that it is a life and death errand, and that is the truth. It is a life and death errand. So let's remind ourselves what is the purpose of this inventory. If we go back to step four, Helena mentioned about the fact finding and fact facing process. In that first full paragraph, it says it is an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods and to get rid of them promptly and without regret, which is why I wanted to read the two paragraphs because the first paragraph gives us this impression that we can postpone it if we can rationalize it. Yet the purpose of this inventory is to get rid of it promptly. So that second paragraph is telling us we waste no time. We are in a race against our mental obsession, which is going to take us down. And what I did, my experience, and why I would pick up was because I would take a year and a half to do a fourth step, 
and then I would sit there and contemplate who I would give it to, I didn't have a shot. I didn't have a shot against my mental obsession if I was going to waste that much time. I am here to make a bunch of lists. I am here to do a fact-finding and fact-facing mission. I am to talk to a recovered person, and I'm going to get rid of these promptly and without regret. And just to end this, that last line in there, they will be honored by our confidence. One of the greatest honors in this program is to take a fifth step. Every time I take a fifth step, I am humbled. I am humbled by the power of this process to allow us compulsive overeaters, us compulsive overeaters who have this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, have a path to freedom. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. Good morning, this is Leah. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead. Thank you very much, Monica, for your service. Um, yes, he should realize that we are engaged upon a life and death errand. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the question always is the same, right? How free do we want to be? And this is the ticket to freedom. So, um, you know, related to who we share our fifth step with, you know, we have to remember, as it's been said, that the big book was published when there was no more than 100 AAers in the entire world. So the big book tells us how to find a, you know, how to find someone. Later on in the chapter, working with others, the big book tells us that once we have recovered, we can sponsor people and be the person with whom they do a step five with. Um, so you know, this is serious business, and you know, why do we uh, get together with someone? Um, you know, we share our most personal feelings and um, these lists, our most carefully guarded, you know, uh, facts about our resentments, about our fears, about our sex conduct. Uh, you know, we may may experience some anguish in the process. But um, we're going to benefit from a full range of experience that another recovered compulsive overeater brings to the table. Because after all, who can better understand what we are attempting at than those who have done this for themselves? We know what the goal, the aim, and the objective of this process is, and that's a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. So this is about the mind. Remember, when we sit across the table, we are dealing with a compulsive overeater's mind. The whole process is about casting aside old attitudes, ideas, and emotions so that we can begin, through the application of these steps, to be dominated and governed by a new attitude, ideas, outlooks, and emotions. So that's what the benefit of having someone who has trudged this path is, is that they bring to the table their spiritual experience as a result of these very same steps. And a recovered compulsive overeater who's experienced in recovery process have dealt with the matters that we're just beginning to face. 
and they have enough compassion to listen to our resentments, our fears, our sex conduct, and they have enough integrity to respect our confidences, and they have enough insight to help us keep the exact nature of our wrongs within our field of vision. Because that's the whole point here. What is the nature of my wrong? It's not the nature of somebody else's wrong. It's not he said and she said and he did and she did. It is about me. How am I interacting with life? How am I interacting with the people in my life? You know, where is my self-centeredness and my selfishness? Where is the root? And how can I pull that root? And that's the whole point of the steps is to help us avoid to get this getting distracted um, by blaming other people for the things that we've written about and instead focusing on what is my part in this play uh, that we are discussing here in Step 5, the play of my life, the way I have behaved, examining my attitudes, my belief system, my core beliefs, my values. Because whatever I think, all action is born in thought. Whatever my thinking is, my actions are going to reflect that. If my thinking has been distorted, then my actions are distorted. If my thinking and my, my attitudes are uh, twisted, then my actions and my behavior is twisted. So a sponsor will keep us very focused on what the whole goal, aim, and objective is to this work. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Leah. And I'd like to thank everyone who shared this morning. And we will now close with a reading from a big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Barbara F., could you read a vision for you, please? Yes, I will do that. Um, Page one six. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. I I didn't know you're going to ask me to, but of course I want to. I know. Go ahead. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask Him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.